right, let's get after it. If you have a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black card back in front of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is where we'll be. We are going to wrap up our series today uh, that we've been in for the past few weeks called Knowing God's Will. Um, It's been a a good time, I think, for our church. Lots of uh, good feedback um, and encouraging reports from our our time studying this. Um, I got to admit, I mean, I got to confess a little bit. This is different for us here at FC Cube, and so we are, I mean, most of us have come here for a while, we are usually a very, how we do sermon series is usually scripture series. We usually pick a book of the Bible or pick a, a long passage or things like that and just walk through scripture. And so every now and then we take a break and do kind of one of a, a topical study, pick a topic and kind of walk through it. Um, but I just got to admit, man, I feel dirty, like after four weeks, four, four weeks of this. I'm, uh, the reason we don't do this a lot is because this is very us-centered. I mean, it's just very, it's very much about us. And there's a place for that, which is why we do it. But i got to say, after this is our fourth week, I'm just like, oh, man. Because we were in Hebrews, and Hebrews is like every sentence is about Christ. And it's, it, you have to work hard to find yourself in there, which I think is good, which I think is beautiful, which is, is beneficial for us. Um, so what we're doing is we're taking a break, and, and we'll do this every now and then, um, to try to address maybe more topical, more practical issues of the Christian life. Um, and so we really do believe here that our worship and our life is not going to be found in self-improvement uh, or new kind of techniques or methods because we've been doing that as a Christian subculture for a long time and hasn't helped anybody. Um, but we will find freedom and grace and peace and joy when we look at Christ, when we look away from ourselves and look at Christ. Um, but what we're doing is we're taking a step back from, from that and and, and asking the question, how do we figure out what God's will is for our lives? What is his desire for our lives? How do we figure that out? And then how do we go about making decisions that are, are very important in our lives? Um, and, and the goal of this is to be able to make decisions that would glorify God. Um, that would be mature faith decisions that would advance his purposes and allow us to love him better and love the people around us better. The goal, in a sense, is to avoid immature decisions. Um, and so... I mean, we see immature decisions made all around us. Um, if you, I mean, we joked about it a little bit last week. The world was supposed to end yesterday. Um, it didn't. There were some billboards up. So, uh, actually, this is the new billboard that's going up. Um, <laughs> it's awkward. Uh, so it's funny, and, and I think there's, I think there's a biblical precedent to, uh, to mock false teaching, but but then there's also, I think, a biblical precedent to mourn for stuff like that, particularly because if you've been watching the news, um, it increased in momentum leading up to the date to where even, I know of at least one report um, where someone was killed, a child was killed um, from people in this movement. So it's funny, um, but it's sad at the same time. This is what happens when you can't figure out with the mind that God has given you and the people around you meant to guide you and support you, when you can't figure out what really his will is for your life, and so that's what we're doing here. Um, I had a crash course in the topic of God's will and getting it wrong, and then getting it right in the summer of 2007. Uh, I was working at a bookstore um, that a lot of you have heard stories from. I'd been there for about a year. Uh, it was my first year in college. Toward the end of the year, um, I, I mean, I was just done. I was burnt out. I was stressed. I was working way too many hours, and I, I just wanted out. And about that same time. A camp, a huge camp from Arkansas, came to our campus at Houston Baptist, and uh, I listened to a presentation from them. I was like, hey, this sounds fun. We're looking for a different job. I can get away for the summer. Uh, so I interviewed with them, 
and they got a second interview. The second interview was actually with like the the president of the camp's son, who was like marketing guy. Um, and so I, I mean, I thought I was in, and thought clearly this was what God had provided for me to get out of out of the bookstore. Um, and this was what He wanted me to do. So I was I would I turned in my two weeks notice before getting the job offer. <laughs> yes, I'm aware. Uh, and so step of faith, right? I mean, I'm going out. I'm going. Okay, God, you showed me where you showed me where you want me to go, and I know this is the next step. This is what I'm going to do. And so they, um, a couple weeks went by, and I'm kind of emailing some people and find out I'm not getting a job offer uh, from them, and uh, I'm trying to convince them like, no, you misheard because this is what God wants me to do. Uh, so some, this is not on my end. This is on your end. Check the paperwork. Check the process. Um, but they're they're like, no, we're not going to give you the offer. And so I remember at this point, I was actually going to a Bible study every week at Chris and Janelle's house at the Henderson's house. And I can remember uh, one night we were over there and we were talking about it. And I was like, oh, man, I am not in a good position. I have no job now. My parents are upset at me. And I'm feeling just kind of spiritually embarrassed. Like, I really messed up on this one. Like, I really missed something really misconnected in this whole process. Um, and so we're sitting down and, and we're like, okay, what are we going to do? How am I going to get a job for the summer? What's the best option? And we're like, okay, well, I don't have a job now. And I do kind of have this desire to work at a camp. So what maybe is the best route? What's the best plan from here on out? I remember Janelle, I mean, we took out a piece of paper, and she just started listing out. Do you remember this? Yeah, listing out every camp she could think of in, like, the Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas area. And for the next week, I filled out applications and just randomly sent them in to, I think, like, 13, 14 camps. Um, And I got two offers and ended up going to one of them. Um, And you've also probably heard lots of stories from that summer uh, at that camp. It was a time really maybe one of the best things that ever happened to me, uh, and as far as forming leadership in me, um, maturing me, things like that. Uh, and so it was a, a brilliant decision. But what happened just in that summer is I went from being almost arrogant with thinking I knew God's will and thinking it was some sort of detailed, I mean, the word we use all, all the series is a blueprint, and I'd figured out the next step, and then that got closed on me real fast. And I was embarrassed and confused and frustrated, and then I had some some wise people stepping around me and go, hey, what's the wisest way out of this? What's the best route to get to the goal that you're looking at? And that's what we've been talking about throughout this series. Um, Not necessarily trying to find something that's not biblical, that we shouldn't be expecting because it's not there, but instead using the resources that God has given us to make the best decisions for Him. And so if we'll review just a little bit to get us started this morning, um, what we've um, been going over is, is we started with this. When God commands something, we must obey. And this is so foundational to the Christian life and particularly to understanding God's will, God's desire for your life. When he tells you to do something, he wants you to do it. I mean, this is obvious, but you've got to say it because a lot of people will come looking for God's will when they're blatantly ignoring it and most of the rest of their life. No, no, no. God's already told you to do this and do this and do this, and you're not doing any of it. So the scriptures clearly tell us to do something we obey without hesitation, without reservation. And we've seen um, throughout the the scriptures and throughout the the series that his commands typically are more about the type of person that we are um, than kind of individual decisions we make. So they're more of a, a compass than a map. They don't say turn left here. They say go this direction. They're about the type of person that we are, the way we love other people, the way that we love um, God. The second thing we saw was if there's no specific command, then we are to apply wisdom. So there's no specific command. We're, we're given freedom. We'll see that again here today in the scriptures. We're given freedom. There's freedom to choose. Inside of God's commands, just the way rules work, there are no wrong decisions. 
There are no wrong decisions. And then we are commanded over and over and over again throughout Scripture to be wise. Proverbs 4, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Get it, find it, prize it, guard it, and it will protect you, it will keep you, it will crown you. Get wisdom. Jesus commands his disciples as they go out into the mission field to, to be innocent as doves and wise as, do you remember? Wise as serpents. Innocent as doves, wise as serpents. And kind of our theme verse for this series, Ephesians 5, 15-17, says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And so we have concluded that we should not attempt to discover a hidden blueprint for our lives. Um, that maybe there's not some detailed outline of every decision that we were supposed to make that we need to somehow discover. And we've seen it's not in the Bible. There's, there's lots of problems, but the biggest one is it's not in the Bible. What we do is we take biblical examples. So, so let's be clear. There are times in the Bible where God comes to a man or a woman and says, Hey, stop what you're doing. This is what I want you to do. This particular exact specific situation is what I want you to do. But the problem we make with that is, is those aren't normative. Those are not the norm for the Christian life. Those are exceptions. Partly why they're in the Bible. I mean, they're exceptions. Um, also, they're always supernatural. There's always no doubt about them. So when we say, when we use the language like that, we usually have an inner impression or we have a desire, things like that. That wasn't the case in any of the biblical examples that we have. Second, we're never told in the Bible to expect that or to find it. We're not told how to uncover it. We're not told how to unlock this blueprint. So what we've done is we've created kind of these um, ways to do this. So we, we have inner impressions, personal desires. We read circumstances. We um, read signs, all these different things. And we've walked through all of them over the past few weeks and how they're all dangerous and can lead us to, to immature decisions. Um, and we'll end with God's will. It involves freedom and responsibility. And we'll cover both of these today as well. It involves freedom and then maybe more importantly, um, responsibility. We're, we're held accountable for the decisions that we've made. Um, and so like I said at the beginning here, um, this is, is, is very us-centered. But, but beyond, behind all of this is what we do almost every week here at FC Cube, which is look at Christ. Who is he? What has he done for us? And the scriptures say, then we now live out a response to that. So we're asking the question, how do we best live out a response to the gospel, to his grace? to the cross, to what he has done for us. And the scriptures over and over and over again are going to go, be wise. Be wise. And so we defined wisdom last week as the skill and the art of godly living. Skill and the art of the godly living. Or um, being able to see and choose the highest goal and then the surest means to get there. The highest goal, loving God, loving other people, worshiping him, becoming like him, sanctification, and then how do we get there? What are the best decisions for us to get there? So here's what I want to do this uh, morning with our time. We're in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, I want us to do a case study. So I want us to... 1 Corinthians 7 is a long passage about marriage. The Apostle Paul is going to instruct the Corinthian church about marriage. So, so I want us to look at this and in particular pay attention to what he's telling them about how to make a decision. Because what we're going to see is he does not use any of the language that a lot of us have assumed growing up about God having a particular will for our lives and us having to find it and getting on that dot. Instead, over and over again, the language and instructions he gives the church are going to be the same ones that we've been walking through for these past few weeks. 1 Corinthians 7 is where we'll be this morning. Um, the reason we chose uh, marriage is just because uh, we have an extended teaching on marriage. So there's not 
I mean, we don't have a chapter on Paul talking to the church in Thessalonica about what job they should take or what college they should go to. These are all big questions that we're dealing with, but we do have marriage here, and so I think it'll be good to look at what um, the Scripture says here. Um, so we want to do a case study and, and look at what the look at how this works in practice. So we've looked at a lot of guidelines and principles, but now we're going to see kind of on a day-by-day basis how this decision-making works out from Scripture, from Paul. So I want to put two things on the table before we get started. The first is that this is Paul. Okay, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians. He's writing to the church in Corinth that he started, that he loves very much. He spent a lot of time with. Paul is a super pastor. Okay, I mean, Paul is a pastor of pastors. Paul is an apostle. Paul is not some punk 22-year-old standing in front of you. Paul is, he wrote like most of the New Testament. So we've got to get that on the table. This is Paul speaking. He, his handkerchief healed people. So this is like a varsity level Christian. Okay, and we're all on the freshman team um, looking up. His handkerchief healed people. He started riots when he preached in towns, which is just the coolest thing ever. No one's went from the car, anything on fire. One day, hopefully, I'll preach a real good sermon. Y'all will run out from the car. Um, but Paul started riots from his preaching. So this is Paul. This is scripture. And then here's the second thing we need on this table. This is marriage. This is the decision that he's addressing here. Marriage. So can we all just agree at the, the outset, marriage is a big decision. If you don't believe me, ask someone who's been married. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, on the, on the, if you were listing out decisions, it would be a pretty big one. And it can have an eternal impact on you and the people around you. So Proverbs 21.19 would say that it's better for a man to live in the desert than in a house with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered woman. <laughs> oh, just wait, guys. Look at turn on you. <laughs> it's, it, he's saying, hey, it'd be better for a guy to just be in the desert under the heat with no water than to be stuck in a house with somebody who's going to constantly argue and tear him down. But before you try to strong on that verse, men, um, the scriptures are over and over again going to be way more condemning of you. Way more. And say that over and over again, really the reason why the house is not working the way it is is because you're probably a spiritually... Um, little boy. I mean, that's probably what's happening. You're not leading your family at all. You're not following Christ at all yourself. The scripture is saying marriage is an important thing. And so here's what happens. And you see it over and over. So just in our American Christianity, what happens is the women typically lead the house spiritually. That's typically what happens. The men kind of get drugged behind. And so what happens is because there's not a lot of godly men out there, most women are forced to marry spiritual little boys, as we'll call them. And it ends up wreaking havoc on their relationship with God, their relationship with each other, their kids, the people around them, their ministry, all kinds of things. So marriage is an important, important decision that can really affect your life. It can affect the kingdom. It can affect you and God. I've seen it over and over again, drive people away from God and drive people to God. So we've got Paul, Scripture... Inspired by the Spirit, and we've got an important decision. And look at how Paul tells them to make it. So the Corinthians had written, we'll pick up in verse 1, 7, 1. The Corinthians had written to Paul, uh, asking him some questions. And one of them was about sex and marriage. And he's going to start to answer some of their questions. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's in quotations. We think that's what the Corinthians had talked to him about. And so now he's going to address that. 
But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Have this kind of a euphemism here for sexual relations. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of control. Listen to verse 6. Now as a concession, but not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. The first thing Paul makes clear and will make clear as we walk through this chapter is the decision to marry or not to marry is not a commandment. He says, this is not a command. This is my advice to you. There's no commandment. And so we've seen where there's no commandment, there's freedom. And he'll walk through over and over and over again. We'll look through some of them. This is not a commandment. This is not a commandment. He says, this, you can do this and you won't sin. You can do this and you won't sin. There's no wrong decision here. There's no commandments. But instead, he instructs them over and over and over again to be wise. And so there are commandments here that he says must be obeyed. I mean, if you look in verse 8, to the unmarried and widows, or, or look in verse 10 here. To the married I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So here's a commandment. God says that obey, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. So here's Paul saying, this is a command. This is not up for option. This is not a suggestion from God. This is you do this. So if you're in that relationship, guess what? The decision's been made. You're in there. So there's no need to think about getting out of it. And there's no need to look at the greener grass on the other side. There's just only... A need for you to apply energy and effort and creativity to pursuing and developing and cultivating that relationship. So there are commands, and when he commands, we obey. When there's not a command, we are free, and we are to use wisdom. If you look, um, Paul says in verse 8, To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good, patient to these words, good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Good. Better. Later on, he'll say beneficial. He'll say helpful. In verse 40, he'll even say, you'll be happier if you do this. This is wisdom language. This is him saying, hey, decide what will work best. There's a good option. There's a better option. Now, Paul here clearly has his own preference. We'll see this if you haven't seen it already. He doesn't think they should get married. For whatever reason, at this time, he doesn't think they should get married. But he says, hey, there's no commandment here. What I'm asking you to do is think this through. There's a good option. There's a better option. What will be best for you? And he even says it'll differ based on who you are. So there are some people who probably should get married because they can't control themselves. And there are others who would be better if they didn't get married at this particular time in this particular situation. So we ask them to use wisdom to be skilled in the art of godly living. Um, where there's no command, we apply wisdom. <coughs> Um, notice there's no dot that they can miss. In fact, the scriptures here are going to explicitly tell us that we have freedom to make this decision. So flip to verse 25 here in chapter 7. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. There's no command, his judgment, his advice. I think that in view of the present distress, so here's what we think. Paul is going to talk about a future distress where Christ comes back, the present world passes away. But this is present distress. 
Um, most scholars think this is talking about a shortage of grain, kind of a famine that was going on in Corinth. This seems to be financial advice from Paul. He's saying, hey, you can't eat. You probably shouldn't start a family. Like, try to, try to provide for yourself first before you start a family. In view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? So are you already engaged? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Stay where you are for now. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Freedom. Explicit freedom. You can do this, and it's not wrong. Or you can do this, and it's not wrong. Flip down to verse 36. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. So once again, Paul has his own opinion here. He clearly wants them to do a certain thing. But he's saying, hey, what I, what I want you to do most of all is be wise. Think this thing through. What is good? What would be better? But there's freedom here. You can do this and you won't sin. You can do this and you won't sin. Um, and then part of this chapter, like this doesn't mean that God doesn't care about our decisions. I think that's been one of the biggest um, pushback that we, we have to this idea. Well, does, I mean, if we have freedom, it seems like God's kind of in the background. He doesn't really care. No, he cares very deeply. But the reality is his will doesn't execute our decisions for us. It then guides our decisions. So we'll say it like this, and I'll, I'll walk it out with you. God's will regulates the decision, not determines it. It regulates it, not determines it. So Paul's going to say, hey, if you do make this decision, you all of a sudden have some new commands on your life. And if you make this decision, you have some new commands on your life. So if you get married, Paul says what? Um, don't withhold from each other. Don't do it. Your body is his. Your body is hers. If you do withhold from each other, short time, Agreed together, because otherwise there's so much immorality around you, it could go very bad for you. He says, if you get married, what? You're not getting divorced. You're together. So God's will will regulate your decision, but it doesn't determine it. It doesn't say you have to get married, you don't have to get married. For Paul, that's an individual decision that needs to be based on wisdom. What is good? What is best? What's the highest goal? And then how is the best way for you as an individual in this church to get there? The decision to get married or to not get married. Finally, I want you to notice how the scriptures here give us pros and cons as deciding factors for this decision. So throughout the chapter, Paul's listing off um, reasons why it would be good to get married and reasons why it would be bad to get married. So this is, I mean, we talked about the different way God gives us wisdom, scripture, prayer, counsel, advice from godly people, and then um, a renewed mind, the ability to think things through. Well, this is what he's doing. He's saying, hey, let me help you work these decisions out. Here are the implications. So he says, hey, if you decide to remain single, there are some good things about that. You're going to avoid worry and stress. You're going to be able to give more attention straight to God and not to the um, troubles around you, not pleasing your wife. He lays these options out. He says, hey, if you decide to get married, there are some good things about that too. Um, you don't have to work as hard to control, <coughs> to control your desires. I mean, if you um, are burning up with passions, it's much better for you to get married. He says also in 17 to 24, hey, you'll have new opportunities to minister. You're going to have a family. You're going to have a spouse to pour into. 
There's going to be a new role for you in life. There are good reasons. There are bad reasons. Paul's trying to list them out and walk them through this decision. Two things on the table. This is the Apostle Paul scripture, and this is the church faced with a major decision not commanded in the scriptures. And he's saying what? Use wisdom. Use wisdom. Look in verse 35. This will kind of sum it up. Some of the chapter for us. Verse 35. I say this to your own benefit, for your good, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He says, I want what's best for you, and I want you to follow and serve and love Christ in the best way possible. The decision has to be beneficial and God-centered. It needs to be advantageous to you. It needs to make sense. It needs to get you to where you need to go. Which is what? Loving and worshiping and knowing Christ more and more and more and more. I say this for your benefit, that good things would happen and that you would be undividedly devoted to the Lord. This is Paul saying, this decision, this marriage decision needs to be regulated by wisdom. I mean, this is real big. Notice what he doesn't say to them. There's none of this language. Hey, somehow put yourself in a position where God will supernaturally reveal who you should marry. That's not in there. He says what? Just think through what's best for you in that situation. Think through what's best. So the scriptures will do this. Um, the, the scriptures don't tell us names of who to marry. So they don't say, hey, marry Mary. Stay away from Jennifer. Go here and here. And if I, Just pick names that are random. Please don't get offended. Um, don't marry Mike, for sure. Uh, I mean, the scriptures don't say that. But here's what the scriptures will say, which is in line with what we've been talking about. Don't marry this kind of person. The scriptures are saying, this is what the Proverbs verse is for. It's not for if you're married. If you're married, that's gone. I mean, that's out the window. But it's for, you're looking for a marriage partner. Hey, don't marry the person who's going to argue with you for the rest of your life. Don't marry the person who doesn't love and serve Jesus. Marry this type of person. Not the name of the person, but this type, the compass, not the map. So let's draw some conclusions from this, from our, our case study. First, our goal is not to find the decision that God has already made. To wrap this whole series up. We're not looking for the blueprint. It's not in Scripture. It's not here in 1 Corinthians 7. I mean, this is so... I mean, this should be checkmate here. Paul does not use any of that language talking to the Corinth church. This is be wise and a very important decision that could have serious impact on his ministry, on the church in Asia as a whole. He says, hey, if you know anything about the Corinthian church, they didn't make very good decisions. So he's trying to grow them up a little bit. Hey, please think this through. Please be wise in deciding whether you should get married or not. And I tried to, this week, play out in my mind what, what would be his reaction if a young man from the Corinth church came to him and said, Hey Paul, I, uh, I decided not to get married. I decided to remain single. I'm taking your advice. I'm taking your advice. And you know, God told me uh, this is his will for me to remain single. And then Paul hears this guy is going out to the temples and all kinds of places and sleeping around. What Paul's reaction would be to that. I think he would slap him. No, no, no. What are you talking about? You're going to remain single. You can't control yourself out there. What are you doing? No, you need to get married. Be wise. Think this decision through. Just telling me that you think this is the right thing is not good enough. He's going to say, he'll say in 7, um, it's better to get married than to burn with passion. Be wise about this. 
Don't be immature because that's going to lead you to bad things and to bad decisions. Our goal is not to find the decision that God made, but to make a wise decision in light of God's help, which you find in the scriptures and prayer and counselors and in our renewed mind. So if we extrapolate this out a little bit to the decisions we've been talking about, what job do I go to? What college do I go to? Um, what kind of um, things should I do with my family? Should I have kids? Should I have more kids? Those kind of decisions. Maybe instead of spending our time looking for some specific um, decision for God to make for us, instead we use our minds in a wise way. We use the resources God has given us to be faithful. To be faithful and to go after Him and to the end that He has given us. And the biblical model of decision making is built upon, one, a proper understanding of God's will. <clears throat> what it is and what it's not, where we find it and where we don't. And then freedom and wisdom. Biblical freedom, divine wisdom, trust in His sovereign will, His goodness. And I would add responsibility to this. So, and I mentioned this the first week, the, the, the imperative in Scripture is to be wise with our decisions is actually a command so technically, for the engineers, being wise would fall under God's moral will. I mean, it would be a command. But we kind of, I mean, I'm making my own little things just because it's so important. It's so distinguished. Um, but if you're not being wise, then guess what? You're outside of his will. That's his will for you is to be wise over and over again. Be wise. Don't walk unwise foolishly, but walk as wise ones. So if you're outside of that, not only, I mean, that's not, that's not a free area for you. You don't get to go, well, there's no specific commandment, so I'll do whatever I want. I'll flip a coin, and that's it. No, no, no. There is a command. Be wise. Be wise about it. Think things through. You're supposed to be able to give a reason to people. And so, we, yeah. Be wise. Responsibility. Accountability. Be able to explain your decisions. And then the final goal, the final end, is continued Christian growth that leads to maturity as we learn how to respond appropriately to the gospel. The gospel says that you and I were once dead in our sins, far from God, under His wrath, and in our sin, right there, not with us earning anything, not with us working our way out, but right there, in our death, our sin, our wrath, <coughs> He makes us alive. He counts His work on the cross towards our sins. So that you and I, right now, by faith, stand accepted before Him, loved by Him, called His children, called His people. Despite what our circumstances tell us, despite what our past record might tell us, and that's why we're worshiping. Because right now, the gospel says you are free, you are saved. He has paid the price for your sins. But then the gospel also calls you and I to live a life that's worthy of that announcement, of that good news. And this is our theme verse for this whole series, Ephesians 5, 15-17. Look then carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then, of course, we mentioned over and over again, Ephesians, the whole book turns in chapter 4. and says, I urge you, because of who Jesus is, 
this is how you should live. Walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. What do the scriptures say is a correct response in decision making to what Jesus has done. It's to use our minds and to use our resources to make wise decisions. To recognize the goal, the end, which is faithful worship and service. Loving Him with everything that we have. And following Him, serving Him in every relationship and all of our money and all of our time. That's the goal. That's what He calls from us on the cross. And then how do we get there? What does that look like? How do we... How do we Go through the decisions. How do we work that through? We have the scriptures. We have prayer. We have counselors. We have a mind renewed by the gospel. We have the call throughout scripture to be wise. And so you and I, um, some of us may have been Christians for a long time. Some of us may not be Christians um, or, or may have only been Christians for a short amount of time. Some of us may have been Christians for a long time but wasted most of it. Um, some of us may have been Christians for a long time and run really hard for most of that time. Um, but regardless, we have a few, we have, we have the rest of today maybe, most of us, if I had to guess. Um, most of us have maybe 20, 30, 40 years, maybe 50, 60. Some of us maybe have 5 or 10 years. But we have this time, and, and like we said last week, we, we don't want to waste it. We don't want to waste it because there's going to be a day where we're held accountable there's going to be a day where God stands before us and goes, hey, you were responsible for what you were doing down there. I don't understand. Like, did you not did you not see what I did for you? Like, did you not see the love I poured out on you and those were the decisions that you made? That's how you excused yourself for making immature decisions that would hurt you and hurt the people around you? We've got a short amount of time and we've got a good God, a perfect Savior and we've got this path in front of us. And here's what we're doing with our lives. We're going, how do we get there? How do we get there? And God guides and he reveals and he gives us wisdom. And you and I as a community, as individuals, we, we lean on him, we lean on each other. And we try to be those people who live a life that's worthy of the gospel. I pray that that, that would be where our heart is. And that would be the end of all of our efforts and all of our our strivings. Let's pray together. Father, thank you um, again for our time this morning. I pray that you would um, create in us a heart of repentance and a heart of faithfulness, uh, obedience. We would follow you where you lead us. um, That we would respond to your prodding, to your your guiding. like a, a child to their father, um, joyfully following you and loving you and serving you, um, that we would find our ultimate joy, our happiness, as Paul calls it in chapter 7, in you and in all that you are and all that you have done and then in our lives because of that. Be with us. We need you. We can't do this on our own. If we know anything, it's that. Fill us with your spirit, with your wisdom and be with us. It's in your son's precious and saving name that we pray. Amen.